Good morning. Happy Family Day weekend to you. Yeah. You're not more excited about having tomorrow off? <laughs> it doesn't even have to be a snow day. It's just on the calendar. Well, we welcome you online. We are so happy that you're with us this morning. And uh, we are going to continue today with Ancient Paths Part 2. And just before I do that, uh, as we shift to one service next week, uh, it is so exciting. I think it is a season. Uh, we're not, it's an undetermined uh, amount of time, how many Sundays we will do this. Um, and our agenda is, I think it's going back to some basics, sharpening the edge of this house and, and securing uh, all that God has called us to, and then moving forward with strength in the days ahead as we kind of come into a, post, a post-pandemic uh, universe. And uh, yes, yes, it will be post. We will get through this. And uh, um, as we do that, the risk, the risk of one service, there's so many good things of one service. The risk of one service is that churches that um, have a single service, uh, there are people that are serving miss the service, especially if you're serving behind the scenes, which half of our dream team does, either downstairs with the children or in a, in a production room or in the parking lot and different places that it happens. And in a typical church um, across North America, 20% of the people do 80% of the heavy lifting. And that number, you'll never sustain a church that can reach the harvest and do what Jesus called us to do, to pray for laborers to come into the harvest field. And so we've structured uh, what we call A1, S1. You attend, when we have two services, you attend a service, and then we ask you to serve in the opposite one, whichever one you didn't come to, which many hands make light work. Um, I asked John Brink this week if that was a Dutch proverb. He said, no, it was Chinese. So I'm not sure who, who, but we understand that as we, as we come on the dream team, and I spoke to the dream team today, and I asked them to go and recruit any of their friends or relatives that they have attending. Uh, when you did Roots uh, and you understood how we do church at Harvest, you said, I want to be a part of the dream team, and we joined the dream team. And so I just throw this out as a reminder that we want to be super careful that we don't shift and become a church during these times where we allow 20% of the people to burn out in the heat of the day. That's not right. We want everybody. Say everybody. everybody. Talking to the family today. This is family day weekend, and we have a family message that we want to uh, share the family of God. So I just throw that out as a reminder. And uh, if we can spread out while we're in one service, uh, and then we can get people in rotations, and everybody can have a turn in service as well. That's super, super important. And uh, when we're ready, we'll shift back to two. We'll A1, S1, and you can serve and attend on the same Sunday. Today, the ancient path that we're going to talk about is the generational path. This is what the Lord says. This is our scripture that was just up on our bumper. Stand at the crossroads and look. There's so many decisions we can make today. It seems like so many different ways we can go in our life. But ask, don't, don't rush into something. Stop and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. You will find rest for your souls. You will live in a perpetual uh, a rejuvenation in the Lord, spiritual rejuvenation in your soul. But the people of Jeremiah on that day that he was prophesying to, he said, but you said we're not going to do it. Later on in Jeremiah, the result of that, they have stumbled off the ancient highway and they walk in muddy paths. They walk in muddy paths. I don't 
want to be a church that's walking in a muddy path. I want to walk in the ancient paths. Amen? So we're sharing with you, and I'll take a few more weeks to talk about some other things of the ancient paths that we're asking for. Last week, excuse me, last week we considered the path of honor, the path that speaks to a person's worth and their dignity. It's not based on their behavior, but based on their worth and value as determined by God and not by us. I so appreciate it, Christina, praying for our government. We'll do the same thing on Wednesday. If our country ever needed a move of God, it's right now. And uh, we want to be a church that's praying for that. Gather with us on Wednesday. We're going to be praying. There'll be a great move of God in these days. And as we uh, honor, we honor what God honors. As we build a culture of honor, and I think we have a culture of honor, but I think we can always do better, we begin to walk on a path that the kingdom power, as we learned last week, increases. We don't weaken the power of Jesus, but it increases because honor is present. We saw that last week. So this week I want to talk to you about a very important uh, ancient path, and that is the generational path. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites. Now, I'll just give some context before um, this, we read this verse in its entirety, is that uh, Moses says, so God, who do I say sends me? <laughs> What is your name, by the way? And he says, I am who I am. The I am, the ever-present, ever-living, same yesterday, today, and forever God. He said, that's what you tell them my name is. So God said to Moses, tell the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name that you shall call me from generation to generation. Father, I thank you that you are a generational God. Lord, I believe that you have a word for this house today. Lord, as we take some time just to stop and be family today in a very precious way, bless everything that takes place. Now I ask in your name. Everybody said? So this idea, as we look at this graphic of um, three generations in the Old Testament, Abraham lived 175 years, and then Isaac, 180. I'm not sure why Jacob uh, didn't quite live as long as the other guys, but uh, nonetheless, three generations. And um, so there's an overlap of when they lived together. And uh, watch this graphics as it comes up. And I want you to really pay attention uh, to the overlap uh, of these three generations and the years um, the years that, there, there it is, the years that they were together. And this is what I want to point at today. This overlap is what God is after. This is what's super important in the family of God, that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are a family. They began the nation in the Old Testament of God's people. They're a picture for us in the New Testament of what local church is supposed to look like, the family of God, the household of faith. So he's not the God of Abraham, period. And then... He was the God of Isaac. And then he was the God of Jacob. Because that model would leave each and every generation to figure it out for themselves. And you would have a one generational family that would never grow in strength in their relationship and understanding of the principles of life and God because they wouldn't be properly passed down. And so when you have three generations, as we saw, living together, that's God's plan for his family. Before 1960, it was very common here in Cornwall, especially if you were French-Canadian, if you are French-Canadian, to see three generations living under one roof. Um, 
And all you have to do is go down to the uh, cotton mill area and see houses that were built. And then a son would be born, and he'd work at the mill too. Dad was working at the mill, and then the son works at the mill, and they built his house in the backyard. If you've ever wondered why the houses are so squashed in there and why the fire department is so afraid in Cornwall, is that we, have, we just have that. That was done out of family value. And um, even if you didn't have them living under the same roof, it was very common they were li- the families lived in close proximity. And so you would sit around the dinner table with grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad, and the kids and maybe even, you know, that crazy uncle that we wish wasn't sitting at the table, but he did. He did. After 1960, and that's not an exact date, but a kind of in an era, there was a move toward what was called in anthropology and sociology the nuclear family, where we have mom and dad and the kids. And there was much less generational input, um, and the generations began to divide in terms of the overlap and the influence. And I'm talking about society right now. I'm not talking about the church, but we're influenced often by what's happening in society. So I want, I want you to see this and understand it. So a lot less interaction, and now the prevalence um, of when divorce happens, and I don't know that the divorce rate is any higher, it's just that there isn't the family support system that there used to be. And so often we have a single mom or a single dad um, with children in the home. So when we look at the generations uh, today, this kind of societal snapshot, this is what our world would look like. And from 1928, which would make somebody today 90-something, these are names uh, for the generations that I didn't come up with. These are common generational titles, and uh, I don't have time to kind of tell you why, but just that they are. And so quickly as we look at this, the silent generation, uh, 1928 to 1945, and then uh, the boomers, and then Gen X and the millennials, and Gen Z. And uh, interestingly, uh, in our church, if you do a demographic study of our database, we are very equally represented uh, in the generations. And... uh, it's interesting, and I think you'll understand from today what I'm sharing. So um, our, our worship feel and what happens in this room has a younger feel than maybe in other churches that, that and I don't know what a younger feel and older feel, but I think you know what I mean when I say that. And, but demographically, we're not well represented by the two top. We're actually less, we're fairly even, but we would have more 55 kind of plus here in our church. And that's a wonderful thing. I'm going to celebrate that. That's actually a very, very wonderful. There's all the 55 plus people uh, that are saying, we're still alive, Pastor Roy. Don't let us die. I won't. I promise um, that we need you. And that's what today's about. And so look at the overlap. Very interesting. We're five generations deep right now. Um, and look at the, the powerful overlap. If I can have that next graphic up um, showing the overlap on these generations. The powerful, um, oh, we're missing that. Okay, so you just have to kind of picture it that in those five generations, like it was with the three, um, there's a lot of us coexisting generationally. But in society, this five generation deep time that God knows we're living in, we are extremely diverse, if you didn't know that already. So I want you to think about it this way out there in society that in Canada, uh, it's like we uh, have five separate families living in a three-bedroom house as we coexist in society. Uh, three, uh, five families, three-bedroom house. And if you kind of want to know how this works, 
the boomers, they own the house. And the way the economy is and who's holding the finances today in society, the boomers own the house. And, uh, and the silent gen, we really, oh, there it is. Uh, silent gen, we really love you. And so we built you a super nice condo in the backyard because you deserve it. And X-Gen is really busy. They're down in the basement of the house trying to wake up the millennials because they don't get up till 10 o'clock in the morning. And so Gen X is trying to get them. And then uh, Gen Z is probably playing Fortnite. And so we have all of the generation, and they're doing their thing, and very diverse. And it can create some chaos. And I would suggest even the chaos that we're seeing in our country right now, not you know, it's, it's not hard and fast. But there are a lot of generational philosophies, as you're going to see, uh, being expressed right now, which creates some of the difficulty and the diversity that's happening. And so if you were to, to kind of look at the background, the societal background that these generations uh, came from, uh, the silent gen and the boomers and ex-gen very much lived in a slower-paced life. Today, the average work week is 47 hours. You say, well, I only... I only work, you know, 37. Yeah, but you take your office home in your hand. And if you think about how many, uh, if you're working, how many uh, emails uh, and texts that you take for work when you're at home, you're still working. And so there's a phenomena even during the pandemic when people were staying home and working from home, it made it even worse because now there was no separation at all. This, uh, the, we, uh, the, the silent, the boomers, and X-Gen lived a very quieter a uh, simpler life. Faith was a shared value. And I don't mean that we all shared the same faith, but we shared the value of faith. And so the statistics of church going and, and whether they went, you went to synagogue or whether you went to mosque or wherever you kind of, your faith, your faith base was, you valued that. You valued that as a family. It was important and you did it. We, when I say we, because um, I'm, uh, I'm a boomer, um, we begin with trust. We inherently, uh, the silent gen, the boomers, and ex-gen, we inherently trust first. We trust government. We trust society. We trust institutions. Now, our trust can be taken away, but we will allow, we will go a long way down the road before we go, wait a minute, I don't know if I can trust this now. But that's just inherently how, from the traditional values and how we grew up, that's, that's how we approach life. And there was a very high level of moral standards. All you have to do is compare a movie rating um, from the 1960s to today. Take the same movie rating of PG-13 and compare the movies. And just the, what, what is expressed as, you know, today it's, it's voyeurism. And that many years ago, um, you know, there was just, there were standards uh, even in the movie industry. So we have, uh, um, as we look at uh, the um, millennials, and, and the uh, Z-Gen, very, very different. They started in that house with those values, but they stepped out of the house and began their life, and society has been moving at the speed of light because of technology. And they are growing up in a very, very, very different world with very different ideas. Life is frantic. Everything is open 24 hours a day, even daycares. Everything is open. Faith has been pushed to the margins. It's not valued. It's seen as irrelevant. It, it can't help me in my life. Trust has been broken. Um, 
Millennials and Zedgens don't start with trust. They feel that media has lied to them. They truly believe that the government has lied to them and is not trustworthy. And so they approach with suspicion and they love conspiracy because there must be something behind this. And please, as I say that, I'm not stating, it's very, these are big generalities. And I'm not trying to be specific about this. I'm trying to paint broad brush strokes so that we're on the same page and we just understand that we are diverse. Society is very, very diverse right now. But they won't start with trust. They will say to the government or to institutional life, you have to earn my trust. And then, uh, and only then, will, will I. And so very, very different. Morality, it moved from a standard of morality to moral tolerance, which is actually a very beautiful thing because religion drove the standard of morality, sometimes in a very inappropriate way, and so, because it had a whole lot of judgment. We're going to talk about that next week, but the pathway of grace as opposed to judgment. And so moral tolerance is a beautiful thing, and it says that we give equal value to all people. But that has shifted dramatically in just the last number of years to now it's ideas. People's ideas have equal value. So every idea is equally important. It doesn't matter if there's a sense of right or wrong anymore because it's just, let's all have ideas. Well, until your idea doesn't line up with my idea, and then I'm going to dishonor you, and I'm going to discredit you, and we're going to do what we looked at last week, that we have a society that wants every idea to have. You can't have every idea as equal. You can't have people as equal, but we need to have the freedom to choose our ideas um, and know, especially in the house of God, that we stand for what we believe that the Word of God teaches, and we're never going to back down from that because that's the ancient pathways. So we're diverse, aren't we? Society's very diverse, and we find ourselves as a church trying to reach that society. We're going to pray on Wednesday. There'll be a great move of God in our nation. Listen to this. Uh, statement from Margaret Head, a cultural anthropologist from the 60s. A little sobering. Throughout human history, in all cultures, parents and grandparents have helped their young understand life in the future. However, I anticipate that a time is coming where technology and culture changes so fast that for the first time in human history, children will have to figure it out for themselves what their values will be. let that sink in. That was a lot of years ago, 50-some years ago. She prophesied. It is, it is the day we live in. Children are left to, to figure it out. Oh, we won't, make our, we won't make decisions for our children as parents. We're going to let them, and I dare not tread into uh, this morning because that's not what this is about, but you can fill in all the blanks of what society right now is saying children should figure out all by themselves. And, and so there's this the sense of, now watch, God said three generations with this credible overlap. Why? Because God wanted the house of God to become stronger and stronger and stronger through the ages until we reach the end of the age with a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. I'm going to read one of my favorite scriptures. I have lots of favorite ones, but this is in the top 1,000 favorite scriptures that I have, but really close to the top. In the last days context this morning is that we're to reach a society with the good news of the gospel. Regardless, as Christina said, how fragmented or how crazy it seems, God has an answer. God's on his throne. We do not have to be afraid, but we do have to get it right. 
We do have to get it right. In the last days, I figure we're pretty close to that happening right now. The mountain of the Lord's house. What it's saying is that God's house is a mountain, that it would be exalted in the place of influence. In many places of the world, and in Canada and the U.S. right now, I would say this is not the case. The church is not taken seriously. The voice of the church is mocked, and it's been mocked even through all of the things that are happening. There are people in the name of the church saying and doing things right now right now for political gain and agenda. And we want to raise the influence of the church, not for politics, for the kingdom of God, for the king of kings, for the Lord of lords, something so much larger than politics. And so it says in the last days, God's going to raise his house. The local church will be the highest of all, the most influential thing, the most important place on earth. Now, we're not there, but I got to tell you, that's the goal of this pastor. I believe this is the word of God. I believe the word of the Lord to Isaiah is the word of the Lord to us today, that harvest is to be a place that people can see that it has something to say. It is relevant. It can offer something to society, and people can come and see that God and his word have something for their lives. It will be raised above the other hills. It'll just be hills. I mean, there'll always be, media will always be a mountain of influence. Hollywood is a mountain of influence. Uh, there's so, education is a mountain. Lots of mountains of influence in our society. But imagine a day that's coming soon, I believe, that God said, my house will have a voice again. It won't be a voice of judgment. It'll be a voice of grace. It'll be a voice of invitation. It'll be a voice about a God that loves people desperately and wants to restore what society has torn apart, what the world has torn apart and reduced us to a single generation and every generation fighting for preeminence and fighting for a say. And God said, no, 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 no. I designed it different. Watch. People will come from many nations and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of J uh, Jacob's God. In all over the world, the church is the fastest growing influence. It hasn't hit North America, but that's why we're praying. That's why we're here. But all over the world, as we have, if you get a chance to get around Alareza and Atar and hear what's happening in the Muslim world right now, I mean, people are having crazy. They've had, they had, before they got saved um, and accepted Jesus, they had crazy encounters with Jesus, and he was leading them. The world is going to be rapidly changing, but not because of technology, but because of the gospel and the great ingathering at the end of the age, which we truly believe in. All over the world, this is happening. There, there he will teach us. Why, why are they doing that? There he will teach us of his ways. And what will we do? We will walk in his paths. People are looking for the ancient paths, but we've got to get it right. If we don't have it right, what do we offer then? So we have to get it right, and that's what we're doing this series. Jesus said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I just want to give you a quick blueprint today. It's an easy blueprint of how to have a five-generational church to have, walk on the generational pathway. The house of God is not to be a disconnected, uh, you know, we got young people uh, um, a little bit older people, then we got the old people. No, the minute you start thinking and divide this way, we have people in our church. And though we, we age does, it does make a difference because we come into seasons of life. 
But according to the scriptures, we're going to see today that when those seasons are shared, something powerful takes place that makes the church the God, not the God of Abraham, period, the God of Isaac, period, and the God of Jacob. No, the God of the generations. And we're not reinventing our Christian walk every generation, but we are together getting stronger and growing faster and learning how to apply the principles of God to our lives. So Psalm says this. We will not hide these truths from our children and let them figure it all out for themselves. This is a very strong, determinative statement from Scripture that as Christ followers, we will not hide these truths from our children. And that's why we do baby dedication. And it's not for the baby when we do dedication. It's not for the kids. It's for mom and dad. And mom and dad are saying, we will not hide these truths from our children. That we're without, we're not going to say, well, you can figure it out when you're old enough, you know, and you could just decide. No, they, they don't have the capacity. Or they might decide wrong and then live years of scarring only then to get it right. But what about if we decide, hey, let's share the truth so we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord about his power and his mighty wonders. Why would we do that? So the next generation might know them. Not know them here. Experience them. This is the word experience. And so we're not reinventing every generation trying to figure out their Christianity, but a generation ahead is reaching to the generation behind and saying, come on, you're going to do it faster and that they're going to do it faster. They're going to understand healing. They're going to understand deliverance. They're going to understand how God, and we're going to understand it in a way in each generation more powerfully and greater as we begin to look like the church of the end days that Jesus talked about. I don't believe in a wimpy church hiding in a closet waiting for a sneaky rapture for Jesus to come back and get, the, get people the hell off the earth because that's the other alternative is to go to hell. I believe that there is a kingdom that is expanding upon this earth and a church that's going to be glorious, declaring as the mountain of the Lord's house, declaring where there are signs and wonders and powerful things taking place because we chose not to hide it but to say, come on, let us show you how to do this. Next phrase blows my mind. Even the children not yet born. A sustainable church doesn't try to figure out how to be a church to the largest demographic in their church. Some churches do this. Who's the largest demographic? And we'll just, you know, we'll kind of, we'll kind of, we'll suit the needs of the church and make it attractive and we'll grow a church of this generation. Or we'll grow a church of this generation. Or we'll grow a church of this generation. And you end up by having a single generational church. When we started harvest 20 years ago, predominantly the launch team of 50 people were, Christina and my age at the time, we were 40. And predominantly the launch team were 40 and above. Again, I'm using age just as that's what, you know, that's the reality of life. It doesn't matter, but it's a reality that, that we understand. And so we've been growing and laboring, and, and uh, you start a church, as we're going to see Paul said, you don't just start churches, you have to establish them. 
And to establish them, there has to be this investment in the next generation. So you have to be, to be a sustainable church that isn't going to be the same group of people 20, 30, or 40 years from now. Our hair color will just change. We'll be the best of friends. We will have a riot. It'll be awesome. We'll fellowship together. It'll be amazing. But the next generation will have been forgotten. And so a sustainable church is reaching not for the newest generations today. I want you to see the scripture. You have to be thinking, and we're thinking it, continue to pray for us as a leadership team in our church. What would Harvest look like 10 years from now? What should Harvest look like 10 years from now so that we can reach the generation not even born yet? All right, let that settle in, because that's what we want to be about. They, in turn, the generation's not even here yet, not even born yet, they're not named yet, they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God. I can't give the next generation a relationship with Jesus. But what I can do is create an environment where they see the power and the reality of God in such a way that they'll say, I will never leave this. I will never run from this. I will embrace this with both hands and both feet. So the relationship has to be known by them. And each generation sets their hope anew. They come into relationship anew. It's for them. Not forgetting his glorious miracles or obeying his commandments. Always reaching for the generation coming up. Always taking care of the generations that are here. Multi-generational church. All right. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I know he's talking about the Lord's Supper for those that know the scriptures. But the principle, it's the principle. I don't want to look at the doctrinal, he's passing doctrine because he's really not passing doctrine at all. He's passing an experience. Watch this. He said, for what I receive from the Lord, I also pass to you. Say received. We believe in an, a, a, an experiential Christianity, and we receive from God. It's real. It's a relationship, and we receive from God. And Paul knew that he had started this church in Corinth, but he had to do more than start it. He had to establish it. And so he gives the principle. It's a simple principle. We're talking about how do we build a generational church at Harvest? How do we keep building a generational church at Harvest? We receive. We receive. Say receive. You have to receive something to give something. Last week I showed you a scripture, and it said this. Do not move the ancient boundary stones set up by your ancestors. Talking about the generational pathway. So these particular stones are like the stone fences all across eastern Ontario and Quebec where farmers mark their property lines by rolling the stones out of the field in the spring and building walls that, that show their, where their properties were. And that, that is the application um, of, of this verse. But I want you to think for a moment in terms of this, that in terms of asking for the ancient paths, there are people in this house that have walked this path before us that have already, this, this has already been in succession. This has already been working at Harvest. And I want to take the end of the service now to point at it and to show you what is it we're doing and, and how are we doing this. And, and, and so Paul said, I received something. Harvest is rich with people who have walked ahead of us. The 55-plus group, as I said, is almost 100 people, active, rich with people who have gone before us. And I want you to think this morning about these, these ancient 
boundary stones. Because all through the Old Testament, God continually said to a generation, what I want you to do is in the time when you're living in the stones, in the time where the rocks are plentiful, life is not easy. It just seems to be rocks everywhere. And if you're a farmer in this area and plowing every spring and the rocks are, it's like, is there any end to the rocks? No end to the rocks. Life, the field of our life is filled with difficulty and hardships, but there is a God in heaven who says, I will be there. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And this house is rich with people who gathered up the rocks of their life before us, and they built altars. They built altars. And all through the Old Testament, God said, set up a memorial with the stones. Don't throw them. Don't get angry, but build an altar. And at that place of meeting with God, I want you to cry out, and I will show you who I am. And this house is rich with people who have built altars all along the journey, all along the pathway. There are people in this house that have experienced the pain of infidelity and said it will not destroy our marriage. And they came together, and they came together in God and didn't throw the rocks at each other, didn't destroy their marriage, but built an altar and experienced healing from God. There are people who have gone ahead of us that understand what it is when kids get to a point of having a will and want to get, want to run their own way. They don't want to walk their own way. They want to run their own way. And moms and dads in this house who have knelt down with the stones of not knowing what to do in family and cried out to God and built an altar, and God met them there and did a miracle. Harvest is rich with people who have built altars. Norman and Linda Oje are here today, and John and Mary Brink that have been with Christina and I and part of the launch team from the very inception of this house. These are couples that, I mean, I could spend the rest of, of, of a series just honoring uh, their lives. And, and you could talk to Linda and Norm who didn't grow up with standards or values of faith. And just, you know, two young people with a family that God miraculously rescued uh, and, and set, on, set on solid ground. But a lot of what they learned, they learned the hard way. You learned the hard way. You just have to, nobody, you know, there wasn't always the people. The church wasn't always structured that way where they showed you. But you have all the badges that say altar one, altar two, altar three, altar four, altar five, altar six. John and Mary Brink. I love you guys, by the way. You are amazing, amazing. I don't know why anybody would stick it out with us this long, but you did, and I love you, and I love our friendship, and I love what you've contributed to this house. I was speaking to someone recently uh, in, their, in their 70s in this house, a great couple, and, and I said, if you knew today what you knew then, would your life look different? They go, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it would. A generational church brings the next generation to the altars so that they can experience it too. Don't let your altar of your life, the place where you'd gathered the stones and you made a memorial to the Lord. And I'm appealing to us as a house, and this is, we're gonna come to a conclusion here in a second. This will all kind of come together. But a generational church says, come and look at this altar that I received from the Lord. Number one, it's very simple. All of us personally receiving from the Lord and building our altars along the way. The second one, Paul said, 
Uh, you then, my son, he's talking to Timothy, speaking to a generation uh, below him. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say, and in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Number two, we intentionally pass our altars to others. We intentionally take others to our altars. Throw up the graphic again of the five generations. The answer, the answer to this A world that is fragmented and a world that is broken is to celebrate this overlap and to say, we love you. We want to walk with you. We want to share our life with you. I've received from the Lord. Now I want to share it with you. There's a couple that I want to honor today that have demonstrated this exactly. They've painted the picture to show us exactly how, not only how this works, but the, the legacy that it leaves. We could put up the picture of Dick and Margot Delacio. I met Dick and Margot over 20 years ago. Dick and I were working together on a leadership team of another church unrelated to Harvest. And, but we were quickly, we quickly grew in a relationship. We went from colleagues to become friends. When we planted Harvest, he was a part of the team that made the church a possibility and then it became a reality. <laughs> so not just a possibility, but a reality. Then he, uh, they have, Margot and Dick have demonstrated what it means to love God and serve the house of God and be a part of establishing, go from planting to establishing. Dick was set in as an elder in September 2009, and he's given oversight to this house with excellence and integrity. After he retired from over 30 years at Community Living, he joined us on staff here at Harvest and served as a staff pastor giving care to Harvest. He exemplified, has, did and has exemplified Acts 20, verse 28, where Paul said, be true shepherds over the flock. And this man is a true shepherd of the flock. Because honestly, remember, it was the Holy Spirit who appointed you to guard and oversee the church. I've watched him guard and oversee as he carried you in prayer, loves you, and cares for you. Margot and Dick have built a dynamic healing ministry here, and many are the recipients of a healed body because their faith and their determination to see the truth of healing established here at Harvest. They did that. There were times where I was just too busy to do other, like you can't do it all. And they said, Can we run with the torch of healing? I said, Run with the torch of healing. As incredible, as incredible as Dick's wisdom in leading this house, as amazing as his shepherd abilities are, as amazing as the ministries that Margot and Dick have been a part of, I really want to honor Dick and Margot's spiritual legacy today because I think the ministry is an end to the means. A means to the end, sorry. A means to the end. The end is people, many of which are sitting in this room right now. A legacy of people that they have built. Let me explain. Our son Seth was born the year we planted, the, we planted Harvest. And Dick and Margo became involved in his life very quickly as his adoptive grandparents because we live far away from our own, his natural grandparents, who just because of distance were really never a part uh, of Seth's life. And so they stepped up and took that place. Seth spent many a Friday night at Nana Margo's house stirring dough for gingerbread. 
and then bringing them home and I'd bite the heads off. He'd get really mad about that. And Christine and I just began to refer to them publicly and at home. We, we, we actually, I'll do publicly call him Pastor Dick for honor, but um, mostly it was Nana, Nana Margo, Papa Dick. And then that caught on very, very quickly here. And the church started to call him Nana Margo, Papa Dick. And, but it's way more than a turn of an endearment. Because if you've been around Harvest for any length of time, you've experienced the functional side of a Nana and a Papa in the house. They've come to get, they've come to know so many of your children by name. Marriages that have been encouraged, calls, visits, words of wisdom in difficult situations, gifts given to you, and yes, of course, gingerbread, always gingerbread. Giving who they were to this house in a way that absolutely demonstrates the power of walking the generational path. They, they did this. They are doing this. Today, I want to honor a couple that have built a legacy. Whether the, the, the particulars of their ministry, which is, a, that's, that's, an, that's a means to an end of people in the house of God. Generations. They naturally don't have grandchildren, but only heaven can record the spiritual sons and daughters and grandchildren in this house because they invested their life saying. And at times, at times when um, others were in disagreement of some of the, the changes we were making for a generation not yet born, Pastor Dick and Norm as elders were the first ones saying, this is exciting, this is fun. We don't want a boring church. We want an exciting church. Let's do it. It was their voice that said, let's reach for this next generation. I want to honor you, Dick and Margo, today because you built a legacy of people. Harvest, would you stand to your feet this morning and honor Papa Dick and Nana Margo. Put your hands together. Come on, make some noise. Make some sound. We love this couple. They are absolutely awesome. Bless you, Dick. I love you so much. You may be seated. Unfortunately, uh, Nana Margo couldn't be with us today, but hopefully she's watching online and just love you so very much. This occasion of honoring Dick and Margo today is also to recognize that Dick has transitioned from his pastoral and eldership responsibilities here at Harvest. They're not going anywhere, but they are transitioning into a well-deserved season where they will continue being all that God has called them to be, but the difference not carrying the mantle of responsibility. There comes a time, the Bible does say that there are seasons, and there are times that the responsibility, the stresses and pressures of overseeing and helping to oversee a church um, should be lifted. And that person should be honored and be who they are called to be. And that's the, that's the season uh, that they are transitioning uh, into their contribution so far wow, can only be measured in heaven but as we honor them today and in the days to come patriarchs in this house I want to practically honor them. I told you last week the word honor means to add value and it doesn't mean with your words it means literally to make them increase in their own it's fine it's, there's also a financial aspect to this starting today and for the next two weeks 
I would like you to pray about, uh, I mean, starting, there is an opportunity to give to them starting today, and there'll be information. You can text, I believe it's uh, an account called Honor. And I'd like you to pray about what God would have you do to recognize this house is what it is because of the foundational couple uh, that we're recognizing and honoring today. The legacy that's here, highly, highly been um, invested in and contributed by them. And so think about it. We'll call it what we're calling it. And I love you. I honor you offering. There's the information. And th that window will be open for the next two weeks. And uh, let's really bless them. Like, they don't like receiving. <laughs> They've always just had, we don't want it. We don't like receiving. They just love to serve. But the Bible says there's a time to receive. Can we embarrass them? I would just really like to embarrass them and give a crazy amount. You pray about that. For those who are kind of figuring things out, and they're asking today, how are we going to replace Papa Dick? Well, we can't. Because <laughs> there's only one Papa Dick in Nanomargo. We can't. And we're not even going to try. But there's another transition that's going to happen at Harvest. There's another transition that's going to happen. Everyone personally receiving, everyone personally giving. I want to challenge you today, regardless of your age, how long you've been saved. Would you be determined that at, as you grow in your years of serving Jesus, that you decide that you're not here to build a ministry? You're here to build a legacy of people. And I don't know anything more attractive than what we are celebrating today that you could, you could think about, what, you know, what, what are the possibilities if I give my house to the house of God and love people, love people, invest in people? I want to talk to the 55 group right now. Because instead of one Nana and Papa, what if there were 20 here at Harvest? What if there were 30? What if there were 50? What if, let's just stop, let's just let everybody be determined they're going to do this what if it's time to not let the age thing get in the way but realize that in the house of God that, that here at harvest the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and today I hope 55 plus I hope you've gotten an idea because you have asked me the question corporately many many and I mean where do we belong at harvest is it like just retirement now like we just stop no, hopefully today you've heard my heart. I have a dream in my heart. I just want to share it for a moment. I have a dream of what group could look like. And I'm not saying some of the 55 plus group, you've been leading small groups for 20 years. And you're like, I don't want to lead a small group. I'm tired of leading small groups. And I, like, exactly. There are times where just seasons change. But there are many who can lead and open their homes. But here's my dream. Here's my dream, that we don't have a generation that are coming. We've seen more people get saved in the last three to four years than we've seen in the history of Harvest. And there are like a first generation people coming in and getting saved. And they need people who have been down the road, who have been there, who have built the altars. And I have a dream in my heart that in every group across Harvest is represented by all the age groups. And whether you're 80, 70, 60, 50, whatever it is. But you have journeyed and you've built those altars. And a young couple is going to come in and they've just found Jesus. But their lives are broken and fragmented. And there's so much pain. And they don't know if they're going to make it. And I have a dream that somebody 
who built an altar 20 years ago and your marriage was restored, that you clear the underbrush off that altar and you hear about a story because we created a safe place. And they began weeping in a group meeting and saying, I think we're going to get divorced. We don't want to, but we don't see any alternative. And somebody says, that's our story. We were there. And you put your arms around them in group and you say, let's just pray. Come on, I'm going to take you to the altar. I've got to take you to the altar. It's already been built. You don't have to take 10 years to figure this out. We've been to the altar. Come with me to the altar. Somebody else whose finances, you just don't know. You think, i got to declare bankruptcy. I've got to do this, or I don't. No, wait a minute. We built a financial altar, and God did a miracle. Come with us to the altar. Children who are just causing such pain and heartache. You're watching your kids in drug addiction. You're watching your kids make decisions and they're in the house of God and they begin sharing in group I don't know what we're going to do does God still do children miracles does God still turn wayward hearts does God still exist today and you can say I've served the God who have brought my children we built an altar it's got a memorial stone come on I'm bringing you to the altar harvest if we're going to reach this world it's because we're investing in people and pouring our lives out and saying for the one, for the two. Some of you will have capacity for one or two people. That's one or two people that might have a, a, a ripple effect of thousands. Some of you have a little more capacity and you will pour into more. 55 plus, don't you dare, don't you dare drop out on me. Don't you dare somehow get the feeling that I don't believe in seniors, people, and people that are getting older, and I don't value and I don't honor you. If you drop out of the equation, it takes Harvest 20 more years to get to where we're supposed to be. And you have been so patient, 55 plus group. We've done some crazy things here, things that have made me uncomfortable because I'm from a different generation, but as we've been reaching for the generation not yet born, You've been amazing. And I know that line now is thin. And you're saying, where do we belong? You belong building spiritual legacy. Don't let your generation drop out. It'll take us 20 more years instead of two or three. And then another generation. Churches want revival. Churches are crying out, but it's ludicrous. They're not structured for it. If God sent them 50 new people, they might be able to keep five because these people have to be cared for. And quite frankly, full-time pastoral staff isn't the answer. Paul said in, that the church has apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. The pastoral ministry is to equip the saints to do the work of pastoral ministry. We can all do this and care for each other. Some of you may be asking in terms of eldership, what happens next? And I can assure you, I have an apostolic team, um, and for, if you don't know what that word means, most would. I don't have time to explain it today, but Russ Conway and Frank Satius both, I, I speak to them. Um, if it's not weekly, it's more than weekly, and they speak into this church's life right now on an ongoing basis in a very practical way. We have a local eldership that work alongside, and we have an amazing team of young men and women that are giving everything they have so the gospel can be preached in this church. We are in great hands. We are in good hands. 
and transitions will continue to happen. This just happens to be the first one. <laughs> Would you stand on your feet with me today? We're gonna sing this song. Father, I just ask today that you would help us to get the blueprint right. Lord, that we would have a mechanism to bring the next generation in a way. Lord, the way you showed us in the book of Acts, the way Paul demonstrated, the way Dick and Margot have showed us how to do it. Lord, that as a church now, we will do it together. Lord, understand that people are the greatest legacy we could ever leave behind. Eternity, investing in eternity, the greatest legacy we could ever leave. Today, in Jesus' name I pray. Let's worship the Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only Shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing.
what a good service. Can we just thank Pastor Roy for such a good word? Oh, so good. Thank you so much for being here in person. Those of you online, thank you for joining us today. We love you. Have an amazing week, and we will see you on Wednesday night for prayer and worship. Be blessed, everybody.